Hey guys, GBC podcast number 50. I'm Courtney Wise. I'm Shane Blankenship. Hey, we're halfway there. Halfway to 100. Halfway to our goal of 100. And I, um, I wish that we could be more consistent in the summertime <laughs> and we just, um, it's not like it's not, I've said this before, not like it's not top of mind. It's just both of our schedules. Mm -hmm. So we're sorry. And we thank you for listening. I've had several people come to, up to me at church and be like, oh, I, I listened to the one about sex or I listened to the one. And that's actually yeah. been the really pretty popular one. Really? Um, and so I, I really appreciate that because we put a lot of work into this. No, absolutely. Shane does because he's so smart. I don't put, no, I mean, you, you're the workhorse behind it and I get to join you really just get to so, ask you all these yeah. questions okay so um this this podcast is going to piggyback off of what shane was talking about on sunday so we were in genesis which is so funny mm -hmm. because i find that to be such a boring part of the bible but then after you explain it to us i'm like that was great <laughs> um so we we're in genesis and we were you were preaching about jacob and esau uh -huh. and i was writing my husband notes in the pew because well why don't why don't you do a quick brief and then i can tell you i can ask you the questions is that okay yeah a absolutely. quick like maybe like 20 seconds of what you talked about on Sunday. kind of a recap yeah, so yeah. we were talking about jacob and esau and it's a it's a it's a pretty broad story to begin with anyways mm -hmm. like you don't get a whole lot of details um but you you know you get at least this you get that jacob and esau are twin brothers uh there's the sons of isaac who is a son of abraham so jacob and esau are grandsons of abraham literally grandsons of abraham um and so esau is the oldest jacob's the youngest um and kind of where we pick up uh, abruptly on sunday which i mean if you're reading the story it's abrupt anyways as well um that Esau is out hunting, um, or he's out in the field. I think that's that's how it's specifically worded. Comes in from the field. He's hungry. Jacob's cooking some stew. He wants the stew um, because he says he's famished, like he's starving to death. Um, Jacob basically sees an opportunity and says, okay, I'll give you some of the stew, but I want your birthright um, because... Again, Jacob's the oldest, so he has the birthright of the family. So I talked about kind of what that what that that means, the birthright, um, and it's it's more than just an inheritance. I mean, it certainly is an inheritance, but the one with the birthright gets two times the inheritance than anybody else in the family, um, any of the other siblings. Uh, they also get um, like the position of authority, so they become the head of the family, um, and um, and then uh, specifically with them. Um, it's connected to God's promise to Abraham. And God promised Abraham um, that through you, um, I will bless the entire world. So this is the, you know, through Abraham's line, he's going to bring Jesus into the world. So, um, which is, you know, a promise is not going to happen for 2,000 years after Abraham, right? And a lot of stuff's going to happen between there. But there is this promise that's being passed on through the sons of Abraham as they go, as they go through this life. So when um, Jacob asked Esau for the birthright, like that's all that it's encompassing, right? And so in in the passage, you know, Esau ends up selling, like willingly sells him the birthright. And of course that that story ends with Esau despised his birthright. And one of the last things that I explained was that's not he despised his brother. That's not he was upset with his brother because um, you know, his brother tricked him or manipulated him or got him to sell it or whatever. Um, he despised his birthright was ultimately like he despised the promise that God was given to him just by his birth. Like he didn't have to do anything but be born. And, and just by the happenstance of when he was born, he was going to be the one that bear the promise of God, like the, the one who through the lineage would flow. Um, but he despised it. He, he didn't consider it. Um, to he didn't be, get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, he, he 
he nullified his own birthright by selling it. Like he didn't, he didn't care for it, right? He didn't, he didn't steward it well um, at all. Didn't, didn't mind at all. So he despised the birthright. In other words, he wasn't grateful for what God had really blessed him with or gave him the opportunity and just totally gave it away, um, sold it. Well, he did a good job of explaining that and kind of um, dumbing it down in, in a short period of time. And as, as, as I start asking Shane these questions, what I think our listeners need to remember is to keep that in mind, what you just said, is that the, our whole conversation centers around um, God fulfilling his promises. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's not the way that I came into this conversation, but I realized that that's, I understood it without understanding yeah, it. Yeah, it's at work in the, conversa- in the conversation for sure. Right. So, so as I'm sitting there in the pew um, talking to Kyle, I was like, do you think it's sort of evil that Jacob asked for his birthright? Because I'm a twin, you yeah, know. That's like yeah. me asking my twin sister, like, "Why don't you give up that three minutes?" And um, and you said yes. So I was glad that I saw something in which I wasn't as familiar with Jacob and Esau as I should have been. But I guess what is so inspiring to me is that Jacob can make bad choices or be sort of evil or have kind of maybe like a dark spot in his heart mm-hmm. and God can still fulfill the promises that he said he would through somebody that is even like not so righteous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he screws up and he messes up because really him selling, you know, him getting Esau to sell him the birthright. That's just the beginning of the story. Right. You keep reading um, and then in the next chapter, um, you know, Isaac, their father is, is basically dying and Jacob um, and I may have mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this on, or not on Sunday, but Jacob's a mama's boy and Esau's a daddy's boy, right? Um, Esau is favored by his father, um, Isaac. Um, Jacob is favored by the mother. And so basically his, his mom kind of helps him manipulate the dad so that the dad actually gives him the birthright because yeah, Esau may have sold it to him and handed it over, but it's not done until the father blesses off on it. And, uh, you know, it's obvious that Jacob knows his father's never going to bless off on this. This is not how it works. It goes to the firstborn. Um, so his father's blind. He can't see anyways. So, you know, they basically, you know, dress him up in a costume because Esau was a hairy man. So, you know, I don't even know how that worked out. But basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they added some hair to, to Jacob and, um, and basically tricks the father into actually giving over the, the, the birthright, the blessing um, to Jacob. So, so, yeah, and the name Jacob, I mean, means trickster. Um, I mean, you know, he's he's grabbing a hold of Esau's heel as he comes out. Um, and so he's a trickster, he's a fighter, um, he's a manipulator. But I think it's important to remember that that God will, will ultimately change Jacob's name. Um, and when God changes a name, um, it speaks to who they are and it speaks to his calling on his life. You see this all throughout, you know, Saul mm-hmm. um, is going to be known as Paul, um, not Saul anymore. Um, you know, uh, Peter. Um, I mean, everybody calls Peter, Peter, but that's not Peter's name. Peter's Simon. name is Simon. Yeah. Um, Jesus starts calling him Peter, mm-hmm. um, which means rock. Um, so, you know, God gives these names. So, so, so Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. And so when we say Israel today, we're really saying Jacob's given name. Like that's the first occurrence. Um, and so the 12 tribes of Israel are the 12 sons of Jacob. That's where, that's where it's coming from. Um, so, so God's gonna, God's gonna stand on his promise no matter what. Um, and he's going to bring Jacob around and Jacob is going, is going to bear that weight, if you will. Like Jacob is, he's gonna, he is going to, um, bear that promise that was really, or originally meant for Esau by his, by just the order in which he's, um, born, um, but I think it's a powerful testimony of God's mercy and God's grace that um, that God's going to use Jacob anyways. 
Yeah, and one time you preached and you were like, do you keep your appointments with God? Mm-hmm. I, I know I didn't say that the way that you said it. <laughs> yeah. You, but you know what I'm talking about. No, you but we like, talked about that because it's the Apostle Paul where, um, you know, God appoints us um, as ambassadors. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of where I talked about appointments with him that, you know, basically he, he is orchestrating appointments, if you will. He's orchestrating meetings, um, if you will, where we are representing him on his behalf, yeah. uh, that we become ambassadors of Christ, therefore, I think is how Paul words it. Well, it's, it just made me think that, you know, like re- like regardless of if I keep my appointment, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of if Jacob does things, you know, the exact you know, right way. Right. I'm saying that in quotes, like being righteous yeah. is what I'm talking about. Like it doesn't really matter because God is going to fulfill, you know, his his promises regardless of if we keep our appointments but it'd be nice if we did it'd be nice if we did our job yeah i think our our ability to experience god's blessing and what god wants for us is i mean is always contingent upon our faithfulness right it's always contingent upon our obedience however god keeping his promise god pouring out his blessing god doing what god is going to do is not contingent upon our faithfulness because we're because then god would never do anything right we are unfaithful we 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 are disobedient like we have moments where we mess up and we fall we don't get it right um probably more so than the moments where we do i mean i don't know i'm just throwing that out there so so god keeps his promise promises not based on my goodness right? Nor Jacob's or anybody's. God is keeping his promise because that's who he is. It's based off of his character, that God can keep his promises because he made the promise and that's who he is. So, and I think it's easy to see when you look at it that way, right? Like God, I mean, why did God chose Peter? Because Peter was such a great dude. Why did God choose Paul? Because Paul was so righteous and lived so well. I mean, Paul was a he was a murderer. Like he right. was killing he was really, Christians. Well, you said it. You said he wouldn't be allowed to hang out with my kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, who, nobody would let Saul um, and their children hang out. I mean, you wouldn't want your daughter to marry Saul um, by any means. I wouldn't want my daughter to marry Saul. But then in his killing spree, if you will, like in his, <laughs> in his fight against the church, God chooses Saul. And I, I, maybe we missed out on that. I mean, I think it's just incredible that God could have chose anyone and called out anyone, but he chose Saul. He called out Saul. I mean, like, why not James? Why not, you know, like, why not John? Job. Because wasn't he, like, the, he, he actually did almost everything right. Am I correct? I mean, he's... Oh, yeah. I mean, jo- Job... This is a little fun little fact here, interesting thing about Job that I was thinking about earlier this week. So, all right, so take Job. Yes. Um, You know, even the enemy, when it comes to Job, um, when basically, you know, the devil is making this case before God, like, you know... um, Oh, I, he, he makes a claim that, you know, I, well, I can't do anything to Job. You've got a hedge of protection around Job. Yeah. Like you're protecting him. So, but if that hedge, you took your hedge of protection away, then I could get him to fall. I could get him to, I could get him to curse your name, mm. which he doesn't fall and he doesn't curse God's name. He remains faithful, which is an incredible story incredible, in itself. Yeah. But just a little, you know, free chicken here for a moment. I just think it's credible, that, incredible though, that the enemy can recognize that God has a hedge of protection. It is so powerful. Well, Which I think it's powerful for us in Christ because we have that. Okay, so in the sense, so I was just going to, thank you, I was just going to bring this up. So in the same sense, non-believers should also 
um, recognize or see that there is something different about us. And maybe it is Absolutely. the hedge of protection. Absolutely. But as you were just um, telling us that story before we got off on Job, um, I wrote down, like, as, as a church, it's our job. It's not our job to be so righteous. And I think so many times we're, like, stuck on, well, that's not what the Bible said, and this is what's right, and blah, blah, blah. And then it makes us look really bad. Yeah. It, you know, we get into these conversations about maybe, like, what we feel is right or what the Bible says or how we're interpreting the Bible when really and truly we are here to fulfill God's appointments mm-hmm. um, or to make sure that God's promises like maybe even happen through one of us. Yeah. And am I right? Yep. Nope. Absolutely. I think, I think more often than not, we fall, and maybe this is a cultural thing, maybe it's a church culture kind of thing, but I, I think more often than not, we, we get into the correcting behavior um, business. Yeah, you know, and trying to call out behavior, especially well, and like that's the way you get into heaven is by being righteous, by being good, and yeah. that's not it's not true because, like, I was just thinking about Jacob. I'm like, you know that he was not nice. Like, maybe he didn't do anything wrong. Like, he didn't kill anybody, right? Mm-hmm. But he was. I mean, I'm a twin. I mean, like, I would never to be like, okay, I'm the oldest now, and I'm going to get all these things <laughs> right. and right of refusal with mom and dad's will and all the thing. You know, all the yeah. things that I'm assuming go along with the birth. But I mean, it's just not nice. It's just kind of like. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I would never do that, but it also doesn't make him a bad person that he saw something that he wanted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the transaction that he got, you know, the transaction that happened between um, Jacob and Esau, like on the surface, right? That transaction on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that transaction. It's just kind of like, ew. <laughs> yeah, um, I think which, you know, we can cover up and we're good at covering up this, but we can't hide it from God. I said, God knows the heart. God knows the intent behind the transaction. I, but I think this is a powerful truth that is implicit to the story of Jacob and is explicit elsewhere in, in Scripture. God takes what was meant for evil and he turns it for right. good, because his good. He God had to fulfill what he said he was going to do. Right. And so, like, regardless of who it came through, you know, you've said it so many times. You're like, God can work through anybody. And, like, I believe when you say that, but now I really believe it when I think about, like, what a small thing that would have been. You know, it's like I said, it's not like he killed somebody, but it just kind of turns you off. You're like, yeah. I don't really think I want to be best friends with <laughs> with Jacob. I mean, he's probably yeah. going to want something of mine in the future. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so it just... I guess it just like speaks to how powerful that is that like regardless of what we do, God's still going to fulfill his plan. Um, it's nice if we if we act nicely and that we're righteous along the way, um, but but he's going to do it anyway. Oh, 100 percent. And I think it's I think, you know, it it is um, it's a little mind blowing when you think about it in the context of like. We, we, we quote something sometimes, or at least I, um, this is a passage that I quote. Um, his plans are, um, his, his ways are not my ways, and yes. his ways are higher, higher. than my own, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is fun to say, and it's easy to agree with, especially when your ways line up with his ways. It's really, really, really hard to grasp. But you see the grace and the mercy in this when his way doesn't line up with yours. And what I mean by most of us, probably listen to this podcast would have never chosen Saul ever. Right. Nor Peter, nor any of it. I mean, Matthew, heck no. Nobody's, if you're a first century Jew um, in that world, you're not choosing Matthew. That is not your way. I mean, there are so many other people that could be better candidates, but a tax collector, a traitor, um, someone who's turned on against his own people, like nobody would ever choose that guy. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, no, that's not, 
But there are so many moments that I think we miss just because of we're so far removed from that culture in that first century that that was God's way, and it would not have been the way of anybody around Jesus. Well, and to go back to what you always say, God can use anybody. And this might be slightly off base, but bear with me because <laughs> yeah, okay. in my mind, like it works. I just wrote down, like you said, his ways are higher than my ways. Yeah. And then I just drew an arrow and I was like, remember the time when you preached about like, can you submit and like mm. to God's will and be used for somebody else's benefit. Yeah. Like somebody else may win the Olympics, but yeah, you yeah. had to be the coach. That's right. Yeah. And well, yep. I guess the coach does get a little glory, but somebody but, that doesn't get a whole lot yeah, of glory. Yeah. And, and you know, you got to think about that. Like you may not be the star, but if that's what God's will is, he's going to, he's going to fulfill it regardless. Yep. Can you be the one that if God doesn't do it too, that God will do it through? Mm. You know, and I, I like that's the that's the thing. Are you okay with God doing something through you for somebody else? Yeah. Because um, that's a whole different level of faith. You know, I'm, God use me to bless somebody. God use me to bring. I mean, you know, and there's the world is filled with those people um, that would have had no idea what was hanging in the balance in the time. Well, speaking of faith, why don't we wrap it up with a very, I don't want you to kill me, with a very quick, um, we were talking about Lazarus and the uh-huh. rich man, yeah, yeah. and I thought it was like really powerful that, 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 that like how, how important faith is. We know how important faith is. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it one million times, <laughs> but when you, when you think about God's plan and how he's going to activate it regardless of, you know, the, the level of righteousness yeah. um, or anything like that, like, I, I just thought that the story of Lazarus and the, the the whole, like, the man that was rich and he wanted them to talk to his family. He was desperate. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to tell this so much better than me. But I, I don't know. I think that's good for us to end on. Yeah. So it's um, from the Gospel of Luke. And I was telling Courtney uh, when we were just talking before we started recording that um, I've, I've been kind of reading through the Gospel of Luke in um, my uh, my personal study time, which little side note. Uh, so I teach a, a Bible study on Wednesday night, and I think I'm, when we finish the study that we're doing, we're going to go back to it. Because I've, I've taught Luke before, mm-hmm. but this is why I love that his word is living. Because I'm reading through, um, you know, the kind of the mid-chapters, if you will, of the Gospel of Luke. And I'm like... This is new. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost like reading something new. Like, I know the stories... Um, but anyways, I, I just well, I, I love it when God shows you in a new way, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, like I've, I've we've heard these stories since we were, you know, growing up. But I like saw it in a completely different way on Sunday, so I agree. <laughs> well, so um, so this story is um, what I'm going to read. I probably ought to need to do a little bit of setup with it um, because this is following um, what I've often referred to as like the three most famous parables of Jesus, right? The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, where Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees who have a problem with the people that Jesus is hanging out with, Mm -hmm. right? Because he's hanging out with prostitutes and um, and tax collectors and just this broad category of sinners, which I mean, even think about that, right? Like the Pharisees have a problem, but wouldn't you have a problem if your daughter or son was hanging out with... Well, we just said we wouldn't let our kids hang out with Paul. Right? And again, so. Jesus isn't being one of them, but he has become a, quote, friend to... Can we know, not befriend a murderer, please? <laughs> right? So, um, so Jesus tells that, and then he tells them the story of the shrewd manager, right? So this whole, the, the shrewd manager, I'll just do that one quickly. Basically, um, 
you know, a guy has been mismanaging his master's money. The master says, I'm going to fire him. The manager gets wind of it, says, all right, I need to do something because basically he's like, I'm too, you know, I'm, I'm too weak to dig ditches. That's, that, that's not my thing. Um, and um, he's like, there's, there's not a whole lot of other options I've got out there. I need to do something for myself. So basically he goes and takes some people who owe his master money and basically cuts their, cuts their debt down um, a significant amount so that when he gets fired, he's going to have a place. He's either going to have an opportunity with employment with the friends that he just made, um, or, you know, they'll just take him in. And the master commends, this is in Luke chapter 16, verse eight, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And so really this is when we're doing the fire in the sky event on Sunday. Um, and this is at the heart of the fire in the sky event, right? Let's use resources. Let's use our wealth, um, not to invite people to a church service, but to invite people to an event where they can enjoy themselves, have a good time. It's not going to cost them anything. You know, if you're, if you're going to Thunderfest, it's going to cost you $25 a, a carload or whatever. Mm-hmm. Coming here, it's going to be free. So let's bless the community in a way, hopefully win some friends for ourselves to bring people face-to-face with Jesus. I mean, that's, the, that's at the heart of it. Now, I'm sharing this with you because it's important yes. for context, so, right, to, to what's happening. The Pharisees who loved money, this is verse 14, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. People, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight because they ultimately love money, right? And so we've heard uh, about this before, but this is where Jesus will then speak of you can't, you can't serve two masters, right? Um, and then he says this. this is, I'm just going to read this to you. I think it's, yeah. a, it's a great story to be reminded. This is Luke chapter 16, picking up at verse 19, the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And real quick, I'll pause before I go into verse 23. Abraham's side is, is um, a metaphor for heaven. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so in the Old Testament, it's you know it's often used for um, as a metaphor for heaven. And Jesus is telling this story to Hebrews, uh, verse twenty three. In Hades, that's always synonymous with hell, right? right? In Hades, um, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus. Remember that that beggar who died with Lazarus by his side. So he called up to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So, the, so you know, the plea is, you know, you know make, make Lazarus alive again. Send him back to my family. Let him plead with them um, so that they don't have to experience what I'm experiencing mm-hmm. in hell. Verse 29. Abraham replied, They have Moses. 
and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Because you got to understand, for the Pharisees, like, I mean, they're always quoting Moses and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, right? I mean, this is, this is the Old Testament. They've got that, or what we call the Old Testament. They have the Word of God. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. Like, no, they're not going to listen to that. But if someone could rise from the dead and go to them, then they would hear it, and they would, they would repent, they would turn. Verse 31, he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Which is so convicting. You're like, faith matters more than anything. You know, he, he wants you just to rely on your faith mm-hmm. and not some crazy situation that's going to draw people to their knees. Uh, Absolutely. And Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. And Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead. And here Jesus, who, you know, in a few chapters is going to die and rise from the dead, is calling out. If you don't believe what's already written, if you don't believe what you say that you believe, that even when I rise from the dead, it's not going to make a difference. Mm. Um, You know, and I mean, think about the weight of this. I mean, these Pharisees have been around and have been eyewitnesses like the real world eyewitnesses to Jesus healing. They've seen the miracles firsthand with their own eyes, but they didn't change them. Like that didn't, you know, the man with the shriveled hand, Jesus does that right in front of them. Like miraculously restores this guy. Yeah. Doesn't change their life at all. Yeah. We just, we, ha- we have to, we have to believe. We just have to find, yeah, you just have to believe. And that's really the, the crux of it. Because like how many times does like a small miracle happen? And it really may not change your mind on anything yeah we miss it and we don't we don't walk by that that faith at all we miss the power of it so i mean yeah it's got to start with faith and it has to start there and i think that's but the proof is like but like if you just read the bible like the proofs that like getting like let's let's mm-hmm. let's go full circle like god god fulfilled his promise and he did it through Jacob, who wasn't, you know, particularly the nicest guy around. He's fine, yeah. but he's, you know, and and so I'm just kind of like, if you need proof, go go back and read these stories and and really try to apply them. Like we just hashed it out in this 25 minute podcast. Yeah, because God is faithful, because that's who He is. Yeah, right. And God will always be faithful to His promises. That is His character. That is God. It's not dependent upon us. And I, you know, to to clarify one last time, because um, that doesn't mean that all right, we'll just live however you want to, and right. God's gonna work it out anyways. I mean, what's the point? No, the point is if you want to experience the fullness of his blessing then you need to be faithful you gotta Um, keep his appointments yeah keep his appointments if you if um but whether we do or not i mean that's going to affect our experience of it but it's not going to affect what god's going to do okay this was really good thank you for hashing this out with me hey that was number 50 yes more to come within the next uh what's the 50 what's the number for 51 no, like not a <laughs> not a century. What is it? Uh, decade, not decade. Half a decade. Half a, or there's half a, a word century. for it. Century's a hundred years. Yeah, but what's fifty? Fifty? I don't know, half a century. There's, there's a word for it. I don't know. Okay, someone that's fifty is gonna have to tell me. Okay, y'all have a great day. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye.